Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today, we've got a little bit of a tax special. We've got the brilliant David Woods from Active Accounting Group, and we're talking about the types of entities that property investors can utilize to purchase an investment property in. We're not focusing on superannuation today or self-managed super funds, but looking at personal names, discretionary trusts and companies. What are the advantages and disadvantages of each? How is tax impacted by the types of entities? And what's the difference between getting it right and getting it wrong? David makes a very complicated subject sound much simpler than it is. Uh, He has a real gift in that uh, arena, but I think that you will also understand a lot of the complexity around it and why it's important to get it right. It's an awesome interview with David and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Here he is. David Woods, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. No dramas, mate. Thanks for having me. So we are in uh, a tax uh, special. Uh, obviously, it's very important around the end of the financial year, but also for any property investor, getting the structure right is critical no matter the time of year. And as an expert accountant, I couldn't think of anyone better to talk about the different structures that people will buy an investment property in. So can you run us through, you know, outside of superannuation, which is probably a whole other episode, can you run us through the different entities? Yeah, for sure, for sure, Mike. Um, yeah, definitely, super is a, a beast of its own. So probably a, a separate podcast in that. But um, so I guess typically when people are looking to invest in property, they're looking at um, either purchasing property in individual names. Um, that could be individually, you know, solely in their name. It could be joint with a spouse or another individual. Um, alternative to that is purchasing property through, say. A discretionary trust um there's also a unit trust as well so a fixed trust um and also companies um can purchase property as well so um i guess in terms of that there's some considerations you know when i'm talking to to clients around where they're looking what their i guess what their goals are and where they're looking to invest um some of the things that might factor into those discussions are you know is it a short-term hold is it a long-term hold um, you know, because there's obviously short-term tax consequences as well as long-term tax consequences. And I guess what I mean by that is um, short-term, you know, whether the property is positively, positively geared or whether it's negatively geared, that will have a tax impact on sort of where that ownership lies. Um, and then when you think about the long-term tax consequences, obviously you start thinking about capital gains tax as well. And, you know, that, that's where that sort of short-term, long-term um, consideration lies, I suppose. Yep. When you, if we focus in on the on the individuals, you can have joint tenants or tenants in common, and I guess the most important differentiator there is is sort of like a legal thing. It's the law of survivorship, right? Like if you and I went into it together, I could either have, if I was to pass away, it all go to you, or I could sort of say, well, I want it to go to to somebody else. Um, no offense, that's probably the way that I do it. You know, you'll yeah. do it right. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to the the tax uh the tax advantages of buying uh in in an individual name and the ability to have you know different percentages splits what what what's some of the flexibility that that buying in an individual name uh gives you from a tax point of view yeah for sure mike so i guess um you know tenants in common like you said is you know it's going to pass it's 50 50 so you know if i pass away and we've got a, a property that's tenants in common and i pass away it passes to you um joint tenants gives you the flexibility to sort of structure it 
at a different percentage. So it allows, you know, if, if you and I were to buy a property as joint tenants, um, you know, I could own 90% of that property and you could own 10% of that property. Um, where that might be really useful or really tax effective is where you've got, um, you know, a new husband and wife or uh, as the example, I suppose, you might have a, a wife who's a, a really high income earner on the top marginal tax bracket and the husband might be a stay-at-home dad, um, for example, and have no income. So you might look at, or he, he might have, you know, a lower amount of income. He might be working part-time or something like that and being sort of one of the mid-tax brackets where there's some, you know, a big differential in those tax brackets between mum and dad. Um, so, you know, if you've got a property that's something that's been just built, that's brand new, um, and obviously you guys are the experts in this area, there's, you know, some, some really good depreciation benefits. So the property from a tax perspective could be negatively geared. And what I mean from a tax perspective is it could be negatively geared due to the depreciation. So you can, you can have a property that's, um, positively geared cash flow. So you might have the rent that covers your interest and loan repayments and all your running costs and things like that. However, once you tack on the depreciation from a tax point of view, it becomes a negatively geared property that's a, a tax benefit to you. So, you know, it might be something that you don't have to reach into your pocket and, and pay for each week. Um, so it's cash flow positive. In that instance, you know, you've, there's some real, <coughs> excuse me, some real tax benefits to structuring it in a way where you might have 90% of that negatively geared property in the higher income um, tax earner's name um, because you're getting some of those short-term tax benefits that we mentioned before. So the advantage of, of say, having a 90-10 split and 90% being in the highest earner's name is good from a, depreci- uh, from a I should say, negative gearing point of view because it'll, it'll lower their, um, their taxable income, which could drop them down a, a marginal rate. But on the back end, the negative of that would be they would be more liable to capital gains tax, right? So that's something that yeah. has to sort of be weighed up. How, how, do you, how do you do that sort of analysis for a client? Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess the the discussions that I often have with people are, you know, what's what's the strategy around this particular property? What are your goals with it? Um, you know, is it a is it a buy and hold strategy? Are you and some of the questions that I generally ask Mike around, you know, is are you going to hold it to retirement? Um, you know, is the plan to hold it for the next five years, ten years? So you look at sort of the lifetime of the property in conjunction with you know, the age of the individual, um, what their future plans are for retirement, how long they expect to work, um, all those types of things, you know, like I guess if, if you never if you never sell a property, there's no capital gains tax, right? So some people often say to me, like, Woodsy, I'm I'm hanging on to this property, I'm never going to sell it. It's going to be one of those properties that ends up with my children or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's really, and it's hard sometimes because a lot of people don't typically think that far forward or they don't, they might think that far forward, but they don't really sometimes I don't really know the answer either. Mm. Um, some people are super clear on it and some people are like, yep, hang on to it. It's just going to be an income generator for me long-term. It's part of my super plan, part of my retirement plan. Um, so, you know, those conversations are super easy because you sort of look at more the short-term benefits to medium-term benefits tax-wise um, and and sort of give advice around that area. Yep. Um, when you think about capital gains tax, I guess, you know, you, you're then having to sort of discussions that offset each other you're talking about sort of tax benefits in the short term from the negative gearing and then you're talking okay well if the plan is to sell it in 10 years time then there's a discussion around you know if the property that you purchase is a million bucks a day and you sell it for two million bucks in 10 years time 
then you talk around the structuring of that and what the potential capital gains tax implications are as well. Yep. So it's really like each property is, you know, kind of a beast of its own in, in a sense. You're sort of talking um, different strategies for different properties and then different goals with each property as well. Yeah, and I guess the decision on the entity would change whether it's the first investment property or the 30th, right? Yeah, exactly right. And you start, you know, you, you start thinking um, one of the big considerations around holding various properties, particularly, and, you know, land tax is a state to state tax, right? Um, so, you know, thinking about New South Wales and the land tax threshold, if you typically, if you had two properties in New South Wales that were investment properties, because principal place of residence being excluded, obviously, yep. um, those two properties would well, maybe one now, um, would land value would typically tip you over that land tax threshold. So um, then you sort of start having some discussions around, you know, is, is the individual's name the best name for those properties to exist in? Um, you know, do you start to consider things like a discretionary trust where it may give you some more flexibility in terms of income distribution, as, uh, particularly as you start to pay down debt on the property. So, you know, you think about today and you know, you might have an 80, 80% of the properties is leveraged or you have debt for, you know, you fast forward sort of 10 or 15 years, the net income from those properties, presumably if you're paying principal and interest is sort of going to gonna drop. So there's going to be bigger income distributions and bigger tax consequences on that as well. Yeah. Um, so typically, you know, unless you're really risk adverse um, and you had some significant risk in your personal name um, that you wanted to protect that property from typically people don't use a discretionary trust in new south wales for that first property because you know you pay land tax on every dollar of um, the value of that land so but certainly as you get to property two to three um you know you, you start to have some discussions around is there a better structure is it a family trust or a discretionary trust that might be better off to to sort of own that property and that gives you a sort of you know short term um, distribution um, flexibility, but it also will give you some like some flexibility around distributions of capital gains if you were to sell that property in the future as well. Yep. Now, as distinct from personal names, the the discretionary trust um, treat will treat capital gains tax differently, and it will um, have a different marginal rate of tax. There's a different way that, say, negatively geared losses are treated and then you've got you know the diversification of i own one property in my name another one in the trust and you know i was going to be paying land tax on the second one anyway so it's now better to have that flexibility but what, the, apart, apart from sort of the the legal side of it and the and the i guess diversification of entities what what's the tax advantages or disadvantages in going to a, a trust rather than a personal name yeah, so owning owning a property through a trust that um, is negatively geared, so that there, there's obviously losses on, um, whether that be from depreciation or just you know it's cash flow negative, um, those losses are sort of trapped within that discretionary trust um, until there's some profits to offset those losses with. So you know, ideally, you know, you you probably think the first couple of years, if it was a brand new property and it was, there was lots of depreciation and it was negatively geared significantly, you're probably going to have some losses for the you know the first couple of years um, until rents increase, until you know debt starts to be repaid and interest reduces. Um, so that's always a consideration because the losses from a, a discretionary trust can't be distributed to an individual. Um, so you have some issues there, I guess, where it is negatively geared. 
Um, on the flip side of that, if you've got a property that you know is is paying for itself and the rent covers the expenses, I guess short term what it does is it gives you some flexibility around how to distribute that income. So you know you might have um, some kids who are adult beneficiaries who are eighteen or older. Um, who may be at uni, don't have any other income, um, you might be able to get some income out to them, you know, the first sort of 20-odd grand is tax-free. Yeah. Uh, and there might be some significant tax savings, say, in that instance where it's not coming out to mum and dad who might be at, you know, at the top marginal tax rate. So yep. in those instances, there can be some significant tax savings. Um, so that's why I say, like, you, you sort of think that in terms of structure, you're always thinking, is it positively geared, is it negatively geared, how many properties do they own? You know, what are the short-term, long-term capital gains? There's like all these sort of competing, you know, issues that people need to consider. So people often walk out and go, whoa, <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't really think about all those things. I was starting to wonder why you have more kids than me, but now I'm figuring, ah, it's the trust distributions. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's there is a tax benefit to having if you plan your children just to be born just before 30 June. Right. So that's always a great time to have a child. But um, they're certainly, you know, as minors, um, which my kids are, obviously, I've got, I've got three boys under five. Um, you know, the, it used to be where you could distribute distribute up to about three grand to, to each um, minor. Yeah, uh, I changed the rules on that a long time ago. So you know, give or take, that three grand was you know somewhere you know around about a thousand bucks in tax savings for each um, child that you had, or you know it could be a nephew, or it could be a niece as well. So you know these family trusts sort of or discretionary trusts can distribute depending on the deed, sidewards and upwards and downwards. Um, so they've reduced that to four hundred and sixteen dollars per minor, uh, which would probably save you about one hundred and twenty bucks or so in tax each year. So. The, t- the savings are, are pretty minimal and, you know, there, there's been some real recent talk around trust and some changes around some of the family trust distributions, which, again, is probably another podcast topic at some stage. Yeah, I'm just running the numbers. I think a kid's going to cost you a little bit more um, <laughs> tax saving. Um, so those 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 negatively geared losses, you, you can't sort of write them off your income in the year that they're incurred like a like a person can um, when you're in a discretionary trust, but they're, they're, they're trapped, but they stay there until, you know, there's a benefit in the future, right? But with the time value of money, it sort of begs the question, like, when is it better to to have those losses? With the, with the capital gains tax, you've got the 50% exemption for individuals. How does that work in the in the trust structure? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Yeah, so good question, Mike. The same same treatment through a discretionary trust. Um, if you own the property for, for longer than 12 months, you get that 50% general um, capital gains tax discount. Um, and that discount flows through um, to an individual if you're distributing those capital gains through to an individual. Yep. Um, so so similar to the treatment as an, as an individual, it's just passing through the discretionary trust where the, the discount applies and then applies to the individual. Um, if you're distributing those gains out to, say, a proprietary limited company, um, you don't get the benefit of that 50% discount. Um, and, you know, that 
that probably leads into talking about companies and you know investment properties through companies which is is pretty uncommon um given the cgt discount isn't applicable yeah um, so i owning properties an investment property or residential property through a company um you know you don't get that entitlement to that 50 percent discount that we just spoke about on capital gains tax so um i, I do say i see a lot um i see a lot of uh i guess investments in companies where you might you may have um funds that flow through to a company and that that company may be an investment vehicle for sort of long-term um property holding so i've got a few people who sort of tend to look at it and go okay well i can kind of go well if i invest property in that company and i'm never going to sell it or it's just i'm going to own it to retirement um and potentially never realize a capital gain on it um that entity can sometimes be used as a good investment vehicle to where the funds sort of stay in that company and sort of tick around in there at a, a sort of a reduced tax rate as well I was going to say, and and great segue, by the way, you're a better host of this show than I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that the real reason for a company? I mean, if you know that you're not going to incur a, a capital gain, it, it's it's a lower tax environment than it would be, say, in a in a personal name of someone on a hundred grand, or let's say, a, you know, a working couple on reasonable incomes with a discretionary trust. It's it's actually likely to be a lower rate of tax in a company. Yeah, so the you know it's a passive investment vehicle, so it's still taxed at thirty percent, um, as opposed to a business which is has a has a tax rate of twenty five percent for a company, a trading company. Yep. Um, I guess some of the comparisons I use with people are, you know, if you've got a an individual who's on the top marginal tax rate, so earning over one hundred and eighty grand a year, um, and they sell a property and they're entitled to that fifty percent discount. Well, the capital gains tax rate that they're effectively paying is 23.5%. Um, you know, it's at 47%, obviously, at half of that. Um, you know, and then so do you compare that to um, having a company which you get the certainty of paying tax at 30 cents in the dollar? Um, so some people, you know, depending on, you know, risk, like I said, it comes back to that risk conversation, how comfortable are they to have it in their personal names? Some people might go, you know what, I'm going to use the company as my investment vehicle because I know that that company is separate to everything else that I've got going on, whether it might be business or, or other risk or whatever that they've got in their personal name. So that that's where people tend to use that company and go, okay, well, I know I've got some certainty around capping it at 30%. It's not significantly different to, you know, the the ability to cap it at 23.5% at the worst possible case. Yep. So... And for the average punter who's maybe head is spinning listening to all of these, <laughs> all these numbers. <laughs> now, of course, get a good uh, accountant. That's probably the first bit of advice. But what, what what's, you know, how do you get your sort of head around the fact that, okay, well, I'm looking at, um, let's say it's my my second or third investment property. I've got property in in my own name, but now it's kind of getting a little bit more sophisticated where we need to start having the question, how, how do you sort of do that? kind of discovery meeting with the client to figure out what's best in their circumstances? Um, you're right. Get a good accountant, Mike, because I think, you know, or even just a lot of the times where particularly property, like, you know, once it's done, it's done. You know, stamp duty is a big, big cost to um, purchase property. So changing property structures is is cost prohibitive. Yep. Um, th those meetings generally, I just say to people, just make sure you talk to someone, like, you know, have a conversation with, an accountant or someone who's who's qualified so that you can get some good advice and you know we do those initial meetings and those fact find meetings for for free as well so I'm, i always meet with people and sit down and go 
you know, let's have a chat about what the strategy is. And obviously that turns into, you know, they come back and we do their tax and whatnot. So we, we typically, I'll do like a discovery meeting and typically it's a whiteboard meeting at my office. Um, you know, I'll talk to them about what their incomes are, what their future plans are. Are they planning on having kids? You know, is their income likely to change? What's their lifetime of work look like? You know, what's their plans for retirement? How many properties are they planning on on buying? Are, you know, are they going to build a property portfolio or are they just going to buy one, sell one, buy one, sell one? Um, so it's really a discovery meeting, finding out, asking lots of questions around them and, you know, you know, how many kids do they have? Are they planning on having kids? Because obviously that factors into conversations around, you know, not that I need to know whether they're having kids or not, but from a tax perspective, it's always good to know. Um, you know, because that, that factors into the advice that you're sort of able to give people and, and guide them in the right direction in terms of what the best structure for them is. Beautiful. And do people come to you and say, Dave, I just bought an investment property and you yeah. think, oh, gosh, like I wish you'd asked me first? It's, it, it has happened. Um, look, it doesn't happen with people who are existing clients because they know that they can reach out and, you know, have a chat over the phone or duck in. But sometimes you do see um some shockers where you know it's it's really hard mike because you know at the time the advice that they got may have been the right advice at the time so i'm really conscious not to go oh geez i wouldn't have done that um (laughs) it's more about going okay well look let's have a chat about what your plans are with the next couple of properties and how to structure those because that might have suited at the time but you know where you're at now this is probably the best um outcome for you guys or the best structure and i've actually got one at the moment which is um my auntie and uncle and they were using a different accountant um and so we'd had some depreciation schedules or that they had had done um by you guys and basically what's happened is we've gone back to amend them with the ato and and the tax returns have always been prepared on a 90 10 split because of the income disparities um and then once the ato the ato has come back and asked for the contract for the purchase and um from what we're now seeing it looks like it should have been owned as tenants in common um so so the accountant kind of got it wrong and now we're going back to the osr to try and have a a battle that we hope we'll win to get the property um in the right proportions based on a mistake that was done um you know without stamp duty so i don't know how how successful that have been we've had one or two that were that have been successful so fingers crossed we'll see how we go Fingers crossed. You and you want those juicy tax depreciation. I'm sure we would have knocked that out of the park for you. you oh, want- you did absolutely. Oh, but I think I think I think the best the best one that um, I had was a lady that you guys had done a depreciation report for, and new client. She owned a commercial property. Um, never had a depreciation schedule, which was just absolutely bananas. Like I don't know, you know, and and you you, you just see it a bit like it's you know maybe just not a conversation or too busy or whatever. I don't know. Um, we went back and amended four years because this lady had a family trust involved um, and she got about 42 grand back per year. So, like, this was a big building, big commercial building. And um, she rang me one day and said, oh, so how did I go? And I said, oh, you better duck into the office because I wanted to say of course. Uh, she almost fell off the chair. <laughs> so it's pretty cool when you see the work that you guys do and the outcome of that as well. So That's cool. I mean, we rely on people like yourself to to give us that feedback sometimes because, you know, we'll come up with something juicy and we don't really know what it means to them real terms in real terms because we don't know their marginal rate of tax. But next time, let us know. We'll bring a bottle of champagne and uh, (laughs) be there for the big reveal. That sounds like a lot of fun. I've learned learned a lot and I've learned that I probably um, know a lot less than what I thought I did. And I think that that might sort of resonate with a lot of people. But the, the best advice I 
think is to be getting good advice from an accountant because I'm assuming that the the difference between getting it right and getting it wrong we could be talking significant amounts of money from a structuring point of view outside of, you know, the risks of different entities, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the risk of getting it wrong is, you know, can can be literally tens of thousands of dollars. Like the my auntie and uncle that I mentioned before, I did some calcs around doing these amendments for them and, you know, we went back and argued the the time period. It was going to be worth about 30 grand to them. Um, so you know that and and that's only over a couple of years mike you know if you know they own this property for another 10 years you know it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars and that's just talking about genuine short-term tax savings when you start to think about capital gains and the impact of that and what the tax benefits could be from having it structured differently um you know where, where they may have had no advice the capital gains tax can be massive it could be 100 grand in itself so yeah, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's Thank big you. dollars for, for a little conversation. Oh, exactly, and especially a free one that you mentioned as well. And yeah. um, I mean, even if it costs you $10,000, which I'm sure it doesn't as a conversation anywhere, that can be money well spent. Um, yeah. You're t- getting serious in your investment property portfolio. So thank you very much for sharing all of that gold today, David. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, mate. Thanks for having me on the show. Cheers. Cheers.